Today, we are going through the life of Esther on Kim. Last week, we went through the life of William Cooper, uh, and not next week, but the week after that, we are going to go through the life of a guy named Rich Mullins. So, uh, kind of what is running through the, th- uh, the thread of all these people that we're going to go talk about is this, um, there, there's, uh, a common motif, which is that life is difficult for these people, and they handle it, um, in ways that I believe are, uh, good, um, and even if they don't do it well, it's still, they still have a lot to teach us. So today we're going to look at the, le- the life of this lady named Esther Ahn Kim, and she was a Korean lady that was born in the early 20th century. She was actually born in Korea, and her name was uh, Lee Suk An. Esther An Kim is her the English name that she took after she came to America, I believe. But um, let's. So, what I'm going to do is last week we went through the kind of the entire life of William Cooper. T- today we're going to go through just a segment of Esther's life, um, the one that I think is the most compelling, and the the theme of her life is suffering or faithfulness and suffering. So I, there was an article in the latest issue of GQ magazine, um, and it it profiled a guy named Peter Popoff. So Peter Popoff was a televangelist in the 1980s, and in the 1980s, it was kind of big business for these uh, religious people to go on the air, and then they would preach a message that said, if you are faithful and if you sacrifice to my ministry, or if you give to my ministry, if you do X, Y, and Z, then God will bless you. God will bless you in very specific ways, meaning that he will give you a car, maybe. Maybe he'll give you a home. Maybe there will be a windfall of cash landing into your bank account. Uh, and a lot of people were taken by, taken by this message. And it was really appealing. These, whoever, these guys that were preaching the, these messages, uh, they knew that everyone has a desire for comfort and for uh, a good life. And that's not wrong, um, but they push it to the extreme. And they said, God's purpose for your life is blessing, meaning physical, financial blessing, health and wealth. They call it the prosperity gospel. Anyways, Peter Popoff, he's um, in his 70s now. He had, in the 1980s, he, he kind of, uh, his ministry went under. Uh, he was exposed as a fraud. But then there are, as the, uh, was it um, P.T. Barnum that said there's a sucker born every minute? Um, there's, uh, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't go to that extreme, but there are people that want to hear that, yes, your life can be good. And uh, this televangelist slash scam artist is back on the on television ripping people off because he appeals to their need for, or their desire for comfort. And he does this in Jesus' name. Now, I, I don't know if any of us are in that position of, being tempted to fall under that message or to fall for that message. But I think in all of us, we want to have a certain type of lifestyle. We want to live in a certain zip code. We want to have a certain type of family. We want to go to a certain type of school. We want to have a certain type of uh, education and lifestyle. And those are not necessarily bad things. But one thing that is true for, or one thing that God has called us to be as believers in this world, we're called to be aliens, right? We're strangers. We're supposed to walk out of step with the world. And one of the strangest things about Christians is that we should embrace suffering. 
We should embrace suffering. This is out of step with everyone else because everyone else wants to live a certain type of lifestyle. And for the person that follows Jesus, there for some of us, it may be that we're going to walk a very long and difficult road. And today we're going to look at the life of Esther on Kim, who walked this long and difficult road, who suffered, who embraced suffering. And I think as we go through her life, um, hopefully we'll be encouraged and hopefully we will see that there is a good reason for it and that there is something beautiful on the other side. So let's go through it. Um, by the way, has anyone heard of Esther on Kim? Uh, she she wrote a book in the late 70s about her life and um, it was pretty popular uh, and I, I guess in the 80s um, people knew about her but some of you guys weren't even born at least one person here wasn't born um, in the 80s so let, let's go through her life she was born in 1919 in Korea and her she was when she was born uh, the first thing people noticed about her was she was so small and frail and sickly and her father was disappointed that she was a girl. He wanted a boy, as in a lot of Asian cultures. And his her father was not a believer, but her mother was. Her mother was taught by some missionaries in Korea, and she became a believer. Uh, but her father's mother, her grand, her paternal grand grandmother, she was um, she she worshipped these uh, these these um, idols and. She would have like a little shrine in the home, and uh, Esther, when she was a child, she would see these, see the food that was offered to the idols, and she would get angry as a little kid. And she she said, um, she she would curse these idols and say, "Why are you taking the best food in the house? Why do the idols get this?" Uh, And that, and she saw that there was contrast between her mother, who was a Christian, and her grandmother, who was not. Her grandmother was um, irritable and stingy. Her mother was generous. She was joyful. Um, and actually, she, she says that as, as a child, she never saw her mother eat warm rice because her mother would always give the best rice to people who needed it more. So her, she, her, her life was very, um, very much shaped by her mother's faith. And actually, for much of her life, her mother was kind of the voice that guided her as she followed Jesus. So, um, so that's that's the kind of the childhood of Esther on Kim. Um, she was sent to a school that taught Japanese because even though she lived in Korea, there was a strong Japanese presence, and her parents thought it was best for their daughter to learn Japanese, and. The reason why is because back in the first half of the 20th century, there was Russia who was occupying Korea, and the the Koreans hated it. And the Japanese came, and they took over. They fought the Russians, and they took over uh, Korea. Back then, there was no North and South Korea. There was only Korea. And um, and the, for a little while, the Koreans were happy about it, but then the, it, they realized that the Japanese were really imposing their rules and their lifestyle on the Koreans. They said that you had to learn Korean. They said that um, the biggest thing was that you had to worship these Japanese idols, the the Shinto idol idols, and um, it became it got to the point where they would have idols placed in offices and in schools, and you had to bow to these idols. And 
when she was 20 years old, Esther Ahn Kim, she was a music teacher in Pyongyang. This is uh, in current day uh, North Korea. Um, she was she taught at a Christian school, and she they, the, the whole there was a rally, and there were all these schools that went to the capital, and they they were told beforehand that they were going to bow to this Japanese idol. And back then, people had a lot of reasons for bowing down. People there were there were Christians that said, "Well, you know, this is just a cultural thing. We should bow down um, and and bow before these um, idols because we're just acknowledging the state." Um, other people would say, "Well, yeah, um, it, I'm okay compromising, and I'll just bow, even if they weren't Christians." Um, and then there were, uh, but during this time, the a, a lot of the Christian influence left. Uh, left Korea because the, as the Japanese became more heavy-handed, they said we don't want Christians here because because they are a bad influence on our people and uh, it, it was it was uh, the, the missionaries they could not agree to teach the people that were under their care to bow to these Japanese idols. So in 1939, Esther Kim she is going to the rally with all the with all her students. And she knows that she's going to be asked to bow down to this idol. And there was so much running through her head. And she thought to herself, um, what, what do I do? Because I know that I'm a teacher. Uh, students will be watching me. And she, she went in with a lot of trepidation. And then as she got closer, she felt this peace. And she, she, she knew that she could not bow down because she worshipped the one true God. She was not going to bow down to this false God. And what came to mind was, I, I have on your sheet, the bottom half, from Daniel 3.17. Do you guys remember the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? So the story is that they were called to bow down to the idol, um, and if they didn't, then there would be heavy punishments on them. This is what they said. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. So this came to Esther's mind, and she, 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 was, she said that I am not going to bow down to this idol. So when it comes time to bow, bow down, everyone bows down, except for Esther. Now, of course, there, people are going to notice this. So as she come, as they return from this rally, as she goes back into her classroom, there are four cops waiting for her. And when she gets back to her classroom, they take her away in front of all the students, and they say, um, we are... We need to arrest you, and you need to be jailed for this. So she's taken to the the uh, the jailhouse, and as she's being processed, the one the guy that's processing her gets a phone call, and he steps out, and she decides I'm going to run away. So she runs away. So now she is a fugitive, and she she runs away, and she uh, runs to her home, and her mother, this strong believer, she says, uh, yeah, you did the right thing. Now you need to leave because they're going to be chasing you. So she gives her some clothes and um, they, she actually dressed in rags and she made her face dirty so she wouldn't stick out. She runs away and during this time, she uh, she her, her, her she goes to another part of Korea. And this is, so this this whole episode kind of was the beginning of suffering for her. Because she realized that she took a stand for the true God and that there was a mark on her head. So uh, she, so she runs away and then the, she and her mother, they find a, a, an abandoned house and they live there. And they, 
they together they say um, she gets a sense that she needs to prepare herself for the suffering that is to come because remember the cops are looking the the, the the state is looking for her and she she realizes okay I've heard from other people other Christians that have been jailed that there could be torture that the conditions in the jail are really harsh so what she does is in this time she she and her mother stayed in this abandoned home kind of out in the boonies um, and they she 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 knew that she had to build up her her body her her strength her physical strength because remember she was a very frail and sickly woman uh, her whole life she was very just dainty and and tiny and weak um, she during this time she memorized a hundred chapters of the Bible just by in her head she would memorize songs and she would she would uh, continually recite scripture and she would pray and she would fast um, in preparation for her suffering uh, she she knew that she wouldn't be able to eat regular food so what she would do is she would go to the market and she would buy she asked the merchants give me the worst of your food and she would pay full price for the food and she would give what was edible to her mother and her sister and she would keep the most rotten food for herself because she knew that in prison she would get the not good food she'd probably get this gruel or maybe old beans or rotten food so she trained her body except this bad food um, another way that she would prepare is she knew that the jails could possibly be very uncomfortable and cold so she would sleep without a blanket even in the winter she would just curl up into a ball and lie on the floor and she would just try to sleep through the nights she did this for months and months preparing herself for this and uh, when it came time to, uh, she, she was in her mind she knew that she would eventually go back to Japan she said uh, if God's going to make a way I'm going to go back to Japan and I'm going to I'm willing to go back to jail I'm willing to suffer the consequences and one of the biggest confirmations of her going back to Japan was th there were um, Christians that kind of knew about Esther and her mother. And um, they would come and visit. They would stay with them sometimes. They would pray with them sometimes. And there was a guy named Elder Park. Elder Park was kind of, you know, like there are some people that are kind of crazy, a, a good kind of crazy. Um, this guy loved Jesus and he was not a, he was bold in his faith and he um, befriended Esther and he said he said I'm going to go to Korea I'm going to go to Japan because the Japanese leaders need to know that there is one true god and I'm going to challenge their oppression of the Christians I'm going to challenge their worship of these false idols so they Esther decides yes I will go to Japan with Elder Park so they hop on a train and kind of the way they they went about it was um, was interesting because here is this young early twenty something girl and this older Korean guy. They traveled on train and Esther. She was very proper. She said, "Well, let's make sure that we have all the supplies we need. Let's buy tickets to um, get on the train." And Elder Park, this crazy guy, said, "No, I don't need to do any preparation because God will provide for me." So, for example. Uh, he decided, I'm not going to pay for a train ticket. So he just walks on the train, and by chance, the, as he's walking by, the guy that's collecting the tickets just turns around, and he just walks in, and he's, here's, this, uh, here's this crazy guy who decided, I'm not going to give any money. God is going to provide everything for me. Esther, on the other hand, was 
thinking, oh, here's this interesting guy. So they make their way to Tokyo. Tokyo is where the Japanese legislature meets. And uh, they, they walk into one of their meetings. And as Elder Park, this crazy guy, he has a scroll hidden down his leg. And when he gets to the leaders, he pulls it out, he throws it down, and uh, on the scroll there are uh, a number of declarations. And one of them is that the Japanese uh, government, they have to recognize that there is one true God. Um, Of course, they're not going to take this crazy guy seriously. So they take him away, they arrest him. They also arrest Esther. Now this is the beginning of her time in jail. They take them from Tokyo, send them back to Korea, where there still is a very strong Japanese presence. So this is where um, her story gets really interesting. So she has prepared her body for this period. She knows that she that God has called her into this um, into this place, and she spent six years here. And uh, I'm going to cont- tell you a few of the stories from her time. Um, she knew that there would be torture, and she witnessed other Christians being tortured. And um, there were times when she would offer to be beat instead of the other t- prisoners being beat. I, I mean, the the Japanese guards, they were very cruel, and um, it, it was just kind of expected. Uh, but she, during this time, she would, she would just her body became weaker and weaker um, actually her eyes started to give out and um, but she continued to remain faithful to God even despite the beatings despite watching other people get beat and she, during this time she also developed a lot of compassion for the guards these Japanese guards a lot of them were younger guys and she would uh, uh, one of these guys she gave her Bible to and she prayed for him and he eventually quit uh his job as a guard because he said he couldn't uh, in good conscience stay and impri- with these imprisoned Christians and um, he thanked her for sharing her faith with him um, there were uh, and so, so that was one example of how she just had compassion on these guys that were, suppo- were the enemy there was another time when in the cold of winter uh, Esther and Kim and these other women they were huddled up in their cell um, remember, they don't have blankets. They're they're freezing, and they hear from another cell the moans of this woman. Uh, just if you've ever heard, I, I, if someone who is mentally ill um, or someone who is in deep distress, there was this woman that was just moaning and wailing, and it was a woman that had killed her husband. It was uh, a Chinese woman that had killed her husband, and supposedly he uh, she dismembered his body, and um, she she. Just as soon as she saw this lady, she felt immediate compassion. Even though everyone else was disgusted by her, she was dressed in rags. She smelled really bad. Her body was covered in um, feces. So while everyone else just stood stood away from her, Esther asked that she be brought into her cell. And the guards go, "Well, why do you want to bring this crazy woman into her cell? Whatever, take her." And this lady, she would. She would fall down on the ground and she would rock and she would convulse and her body would shake and she would yell and scream and she did this for days. And Esther said, I'm going to love you. I'm going to care for you. No one else was willing to do this. So what she did was she held on to this lady 
and she she held her while she was rocking back and forth while she was um, screaming and she would not let go um, just to keep her warm just to keep her body still as long as she could and she finally fell asleep um, and during this time she continued to care for her she while, she, while this lady was asleep Esther would hold the, the bare feet of this woman to her chest um, and the, her feet were covered in feces but she held them to her chest for three days because for three days this lady did not wake up um, when she finally did wake up she fed she, Esther saved her food and she started feeding her by hand um, and during this time the guards noticed something about this woman because they thought that she was a lost cause that there was nothing that could be done for her she would just die as an insane woman but she started coming to her senses and then she this this whole time she was cursing Esther while she was while Esther was feeding her but eventually her heart softened and she asked why are you doing this for me uh, why do you like me and Esther said I do this because God loves me and God loves you and the, the story came out this lady had um, one of the reasons why she went mad is because her newborn child was taken away from her when she went to ch- went to prison and um, she was her heart during this time was so softened by the love of Esther Esther sacrificed Esther covered herself in feces to love this woman getting herself dirty uh, kind of like Jesus how Jesus gets dirty with the dirt of our lives and um, this lady finally she she was still very disturbed but she recognized that here is an act of kindness I recognize and she was so thankful that she gave Esther the only thing that, that she could which was toilet paper because these prisoners would be rationed toilet paper and this lady saved up her toilet paper and she said here's a small sack of toilet paper in appreciation for what you've done to me done for me um and she was taken away to be executed um but with a moment of clarity she looked at esther and said thank you for loving me um this is an example of what Esther prepared herself for. She knew that it would be difficult and she knew that God would put people in her life. So she loved this woman. Uh, Esther continued on in the prison and she continued to watch her friends, these other Christians, be beat and tortured um, and her body grew weaker and weaker. Uh, There was one time her body was really just feeling the effects of the lack of nutrition and the cold and she um the thought came to her mind i really want some apples and she begged god god would you just give me one apple because i need i need something and all i want is an apple um by chance or by maybe the providence of god the the japanese they had a whole crate of apples that were going bad they were going to throw them out and she asked can i have an apple and they go well these are all rotten but whatever you can have these rotten apples and uh esther took these apples and she ate and she gave them to her the the other prisoners and they ate these rotten apples and she says it was like bread from heaven it tasted so good she was so thankful for it and the reason why this is why the rotten apples were special is because her teeth were too soft. Her, her gums were were um, were too weak to chew into a, real, a fresh apple. And if she had a fresh apple, she would not be able to eat it. But here was this rotten, mushy apple. And Esther was able to eat this rotten, mushy apple. It was kind of like applesauce. That was the only thing she could have eaten anyway. And she regained strength and she thanked God for that. 
um, there are other stories of God's provision for her in the in that prison cell. But yeah, so here here this woman that's thankful for rotten apples. Um, she she was she knew that God was the one that sustained her, and she was so thankful. Can you imagine for six years suffering? Um, I, I like just imagine going to college and during that, this whole time you're suffering and imagine you go to uh, grad school for another two years that's six years of suffering um, no escape from that well for Esther there was an opportunity to escape um, the doctor realized this was um, about a year before her eventual um, release from prison the, the prison doctor looked at her and he examined her and he said well, she's in really bad shape She's in really bad shape. And if we don't let her go, if she doesn't get some immediate medical care, she's going to die. So they take her out. And remember, there's Esther's godly mother. Um, Esther's godly mother is outside the prison. And she she uh, tells her daughter, like, well, what's what's going on? I thought that, what, why are you out here? And she Esther gives her mother the reason. And she says, yeah, um, I'll go back to prison, um, but right now my body's so weak. I need to I need to take a, a warm bath. I need to eat. I need to get some rest, and then I can go back to prison. Well, Esther's mother reminded Esther that um, all of Korea was under this Japanese occupation, and all the other people in Korea, even if they weren't in prison, they were given rations of food. They were not. They didn't have all their basic necessities met. Everyone else in Korea was suffering as well. This was uh, around the time of World War II. The whole world is hurting, and um, she tells Esther, "Esther, all of Korea is a prison. And didn't you promise God that you would give him all of your life, including your eyes? Because one of the reasons why she was being like that was because she was going blind in her eyes. She couldn't see. Didn't you also give God your eyes?" Um, and Esther goes, you're right, um, I, I, I need to go back into this prison because God had ca- has called me into this prison. I'm going to continue to suffer. And the, jailer, the jailers were so astounded. Why would this lady that was being released from prison voluntarily go back? They saw the faith of Esther. They saw even more the faith of her mother because what kind of mother would allow her daughter to go back into this. Um, only a mother who loves God more than she, he lo- she loves her daughter. Um, it's, it's insane how in times of suffering, really when you're forced to confront your own idols, um, maybe your idol is family, maybe your idol is a certain lifestyle, um, are you willing to let that go? For Esther and her mother, they were willing to let it go because Jesus was better than comfort or safety. So um, finally in 1945, Esther was released from prison and she um, she was one of uh, 16, let me see, she was one of 14 prisoners that were released. Um, there were 34 Christians that entered this jail uh, in 1939 and of those 20 of these prisoners died from malnutrition or torture or whatever else exhaustion uh, only 14 less than half of these prisoners survived and um, and they re- 
the jailers said this they recognized that the reason why they were able to sustain themselves is because they had faith in God and there were people outside that prayed for them constantly um, Esther's mother was there to greet her and actually Esther found out that um, during this whole during the last year of her time in prison every single night this old woman she was probably in her 70s or 80s she would walk through the cold and she would stand outside the prison walls and she would pray for her daughter all night long um, she said her, her feet were frostbitten she said that it was really really difficult to make the trek but she would pray for her daughter and the other prisoners every night so Esther's whole time in prison was marked by uh, deep dependence on God, deep trust in God, deep conviction that she really belonged there. Now, what? who of us can say, I belong in a place of suffering? Who of us can say, all the things that I've worked for, I'm willing to let go? Esther said that. So, um, so that that's kind of her life. Uh, let me stop for any questions or comments. Uh, and while I do, can I ask someone to turn the heat down? <laughs> Thank you, Ty. Um, so this is just a snippet of her life. Um, but she she um, she was eventually released from prison. And in the 1970s, um, or people started hearing about her story. Start words started to get words started to get out, and um, eventually Americans heard about her story, and they would they hired or they would. Um, invite her to share her story with the churches there and she was um, so she shared her story that's how she became kind of really well known um, and she also married a engineer that became a pastor and they started a church in LA it was a Baptist church and they served there until um, her death so kind of a, a pretty crazy life um, any questions or comments before we go on to the lessons learned in her, from her life All right, cool. Let's go to um, lessons from her life. Well, actually, let me let me before I go to lessons from her life, um, let me talk about why I I chose to um, teach on her life. One of the reasons why is because I was looking at the list of people that I was considering teaching about, and um, she like I was like, oh, there aren't any women. Um, I mean, women do amazing things in the kingdom. Um, but they don't get all the recognition that they deserve. So uh, I remembered, I, I heard the story of this Korean lady named Esteron Kim. And I was, the first time I, I, I heard about her story, uh, maybe 10 years ago, and I was so struck by her, by her life. Like, it was just insane. Um, we as Americans, we know nothing about persecution or suffering, um, or very little at least compared to other believers. And there are people all over the world that are going through the same thing that she's going through. Right now, they're being tortured for their faith. Right now, they're being, uh, their rights are being taken away. They're being treated unfairly. And right now, they're learning to depend on God in ways far deeper than you or I will ever. Um, maybe we will, and if we are, then maybe we should praise God for that. Um, but yeah, we have brothers and sisters all over the world that are suffering like she did. So let's go to the uh, lessons from her life. Um, number one, the importance of spiritual disciplines. So she, like I mentioned earlier, as she was preparing to uh, go to prison, she memorized scripture. Uh, she would fast. 
uh, because she knew like there, there's a couple reasons why she fasted. Number one was because fasting is it teaches us to rely on God only, um, and when we feel those pangs of hunger, we're saying, "I want God more than I want food." Um, another reason is just physically, she wanted to prepare herself for uh, prepare her her body physically for this. Um, so there was, she memorized scripture, she memorized psalms and, and hymns that she would sing in prison. She fasted, she prayed, and because this set the path, this laid down the tracks for how she, her how her life would go. We need something to focus us. And when we think of the word discipline, there's a lot of times there's this uh, negative connotation but what discipline really is, is I heard this great illustration once, which is if you guys have ever seen racehorses, you may have noticed that they have blinders on. And the reason why is because the the guys that are in charge of these horses, they don't want these horses to wander off. They want them to look at the path ahead of them. They want them to see the goal only. So they put blinders on so that they will focus only on that. And that's what discipline is. It's not us depriving ourselves of good things. It's saying that there's something really, really good at the end of the road, and I'm willing. To, and we're saying because I don't want to be distracted by that, I'm going to discipline myself to head in a straight direction towards the thing that is greatest. So, for Esther, Jesus was better than food. For Esther, Jesus was better than comfort. For Esther, Jesus was better than romantic relationships or any type of lifestyle. That's for in her life. That was why spiritual disciplines were so important because especially when she needed it the most, especially in prison, uh, she she trained herself through these disciplines. Number two, uh, living simply. So there are um, right now uh, there there's kind of this mm, semi popular movement of simple living. Um, if you go on Netflix, there are a couple documentaries of people of simple living. One of them is called "Just Type in Minimalism." There's a documentary um, on people that live on just what they need. They don't buy more than they need. Um, they might have like a pair of shoes and two slacks and three shirts, and they say uh, that's enough for me. Um, there's also like the tiny house movements where people live in these like literally um, like like 150 square foot houses, like families of three. Um, simple living, it's, it, there's this uh, very, um, so, so many benefits, they say, to living like this. Well, for Esther, she lived simply out of necessity because she knew that she would not have the luxuries of the comfortable life. So she dressed very simply. She ate very simply. Um, just what was needed because... Again, she had to train herself to not need the things that we think we need. So she lived very simply. Um, number three, compassion for others. So she had compassion for her other pr- uh, prisoners in the prison. Uh, for example, one of the stories, just the story I shared with you, she also had compassion on the jailers. Um, as she was boarding the train to go to Tokyo for the first time around, she saw a bunch of Japanese soldiers that were young guys her age in their late in their late teens or early twenties, and she felt such sadness for them because what they were doing was they were giving their lives to something that did not ultimately matter. She wanted them to be saved. She wanted them to know Jesus. So she had this deep 
compassion for them. So this is why even while she was being beaten by her captors, she still had love for them. Compassion broken down means co-suffering. Passion means suffering, and compassion means that we suffer along with others. So she was willing to suffer along with others for the sake of her Savior. Um, dependence on God alone. Uh, actually, let me let me go down to the last verse that you have in this uh, on the sheet. Um, this is Paul writing in Second Corinthians twelve. But he said to me, "My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness." Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Esther suffered much weakness, um, not just physical weakness. She, you can, you can guess that she felt. Um, maybe mental weakness or emotional weakness or spiritual weakness at times during her stint in prison. Um, but like like I mentioned in last week's lesson, it was when, for William Cooper, it was when he was the weakest that God did amazing things through him. For Esther, it was when she was weakest when it was really evident that God was active in her life and that God was true and real. And in our own lives, um, we need to understand that weakness is not a bad thing. Uh, I think J.A. Packer wrote a book recently called um, Weakness as a Way of Life or something like that, or that might have been the subtitle. I forget the exact title. But um, for the Christian, weakness is a way of life for us. We should be okay admitting that we don't have everything together. We should be okay saying that I don't know everything. Uh, I don't have the resources to do what I need to do because that gives God a larger stage to do his work in our lives. It gives God a larger stage to display his providence and his sovereignty and his glory. So um, Esther depended on God alone. She she trusted in God. That's what trust is, is total dependence on God. And finally, um, along with that, Christ is enough. Jesus is enough. Uh, the rotten apples may have been nice, but even without the rotten apples, Christ would have been enough. And this is a lesson, not just for those who suffer persecution, but something that is true for all of us, that Christ will always be enough. So I know that all of us, if not already at some point, will go through some really difficult times in our lives when we're full of questions, when we doubt that we can make it, when we're at the end of our rope. Um, where can I go? I, I'm not going to make it financially. I'm not going to make it physically, relationally. I'm not going to make it. And God delights to serve us and love us in those times because that's when we realize that what God has given me in Christ is enough. And that that's something that will take us a long time to learn. But that can can we believe that Christ is enough? Um, because if you believe that, then your life is set on a rock. You cannot be moved. And we need to remember that constantly. So let me go through um, just a few few verses that I think really speak to Esther's life and also to us. Uh, from Matthew 5. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. 
Esther rejoiced that she was worthy of suffering. And if you look at the book of Acts, do you guys remember the, the followers, followers of Jesus who, when they were being led off to be persecuted, what did they do? They rejoiced. That's insane. That's insane. Who rejoices at suffering? The Bible says we can rejoice in our suffering. First uh, Peter 4.13 But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Second Timothy says, Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. And Romans 8, I think we, we, I mentioned this last week. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. How can we be faithful in our suffering? It's knowing that God blesses our suffering. It's knowing that God is at the end of our suffering. It's knowing that one day we will see a glory that will blast any type of suffering or pain that we felt. Um, this is so good. This is so good, isn't it? To know that we can suffer and that we can suffer well. It acknowledges the reality of life, that life is very difficult, but that God is at the end of it. And one day there will be no more suffering, no more pain, no more tears. And for Esther, she died in the uh, 90s. Um, she knows glory now. And the six years that she suffered in prison are going to seem like this tiny little dot in the grand scheme of eternity. And she can enjoy Jesus all the more because she suffered well. So let me end with this quote from her. This is in her book. It's called, If I Perish. Um, I was not going to live my youthful life for myself. I would offer it to the Lord and bear witness of him. I was filled with happiness for having been born in this age of bitterness. I like this phrase, this age of bitterness. Um, Perhaps one day we will enter an age of bitterness as well. And if so, we can know that Christ is enough for us and that we can suffer well. Um, Let me open it up for questions or comments before I close in prayer. Luis. Do you know where I can find more stories like this of Christians who go through yeah. hardships? Yeah. Um, uh, so where can we find more stories of this? If you look, um, Google Fox's Book of Martyrs, Fox's F-O-X-E-S, Book of Martyrs, and it tells a story of lots of people that suffered for their faith. It's like a thick book. Um, this story I first heard from... Um, there's a... This is the book where I first heard about Eshron Kim. It's Faithful Women and Their Extraordinary God by Noelle Piper. Noelle Piper is John Piper's wife. But she has the stories of um, Jonathan Edwards' uh, wife, of these missionaries. Um, so um, just type in Christian biography, actually. There's lots of stories. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Thank you guys so much for your thoughts. Um, let me... Uh, Let me close in prayer. God, thank you so much for the life of Esther. Um, We know that she had an extraordinary life, God. Um, And it's because you are an extraordinary God. And I pray that if the time ever comes for us to suffer like she did, that you would gird us with your word, with strength in you, that that we would know that you are enough, God. So um, in the meantime, we live lives that are not easy. We suffer as well. But we know that suffering... um, can be good, um, that we know that 
you can sustain us through these, God. So uh, we ask that you would grow our faith in you. And as we worship with the rest of our family in a few moments, I pray that you would be glorified. Uh, Thank you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, guys.